All right. What do you smell like? <laughs> what do you smell like? All you men immediately think, ah, oh, shoot, armpit check. And all you women are like, I ain't doing that. I'm too much of a lady, but um, hope you, let's not go there. So what do you smell like? I, uh, a couple days ago in our backyard, I had this little above ground Home Depot bought fire pit and you can have a little campfire in our backyard. Now, we love it, our neighbors don't, but we love it and then you can make uh, marshmallows and all this stuff and, and you're making a fire and I can look at fire all day long, preferably inside the pit. And, and it's like firecracker smell, there's certain smells that, man, I love that smell. I could smell this for days. And I remember it brought me back to the time when I was at a campfire at a beach and I was wearing, I think my Bible college sweatshirt. And then the next day I took my, I smelled that sweatshirt. Oh, campfire smell. Anyone know love campfire smell? You know what I'm talking about? Because you, that campfire's just been around you and around you and around you and around you. And then it's getting, it's like, oh, I just love this smell. I should wash this, but I love the smell so much more. So I'm going to wait and I could smell this. It's like man cologne for myself, you know? And I love this smell. I love it. I love it. And then, and as I have that campfire, I'm poking it and prodding it. It's going out. So, of course, the secret to all great fires is lighting fluid, as I taught my kids. And then the flames come back to life and the smoke's in your eyes, but it's getting in my shirt. And at the end of the day, you know, as you're changing clothes, you oh. And then, of course, parts of it smell really good. I love that smell. I'm smelling like campfire smoke. Why? because I was surrounding myself or just permeated me around myself continuously for the few hours I was there. Aware of it or not, that smell, the campfire smoke was coming upon me. Ever, and not to denigrate any smokers in here, but we know who are smokers. They may not aware of it or not, but we can smell them a, a you know, football field away. Why, they have that smell. And, and campfires, it, it, you can, I, I was just, that smell was upon me, and aware of it or not, I smelt like campfire. It was just because I was surrounding myself near that campfire. If you uh, don't turn there, but 2 Corinthians 3 says, I'm sorry, chapter 2, says, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to the one were the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life meaning if you're filled with Christ and if you're with other Christian believers the fragrance of the fruit of the Spirit is just so wonderful to be with other believers and if you're around Christ, the fruit of the Spirit's coming out. So even if you're aware of it or not, the life, the joy, the peace, compassion is flowing out of you. And it's just beautiful. It's wonderful. We're like-minded. But if you're compassionate and things above and want more of Jesus, the people who aren't saved can't stand it. What are you doing? Get away from me. You talk about the Bible, Jesus returning, repentance, sin. 
It's death to their flesh. They hate it. It's either conviction or they want nothing to do with it. And the fact that you're around them, you are death to what they want to do, right? And so if you're surrounding yourself in Christ, the fragrance of Christ is coming out. When I was with Tony, we were with Al Molina the day before he passed, and Tony is just overflowing with compassion and life and joy. And it was just beautiful to see the love of Jesus come out of Tony. It was beautiful. I I enjoyed it. I relished it. But when you're with unbelievers, sometimes when they're fixed on the things of this world and the things of self and sin, they hate it. You're death to them. And so, are we smelling of the world, of self, or of Jesus? And oftentimes, like with that campfire smell, if I was just there for a second that campfire would hit me then go away, but it wouldn't stick. It has to hit me over and over and over for me to smell like it. And for us to smell like Christ, one quick Bible verse, one quick prayer, it'll come, the life of Christ will come through us and then whew, go away. But to be having the fruit of the Spirit takes time with Jesus and the aroma of Christ comes through you and he's, you're with him and it's more impacting. Our text is... 2 Corinthians 5.12, and as jump, I'm jumping, transitioning to 5.12, Paul is writing to this Corinthian church whom he loved dearly. He's planning to visit them a third time. He wrote 1 Corinthians with that famous chapter of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is long-suffering. He loved this church. He wrote it. He, he was ministered to this church. You might remember in Acts chapter 18. He ministered there for a year and a half. In fact, our great Paul was even afraid to serve here, for our Lord and Savior came to him at night and said, don't be afraid. So whenever Jesus says to you, don't be afraid, it's probably because you're afraid. Our great apostle Paul was afraid, but the Lord ministered heart. Don't be afraid. I have many in this city. And Paul worked and served for a year and a half. He wrote 1 Corinthians, and then he wrote 2 Corinthians for several reasons. There was an issue in the church of... uh, 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 punishment and reconciliation, discipline. He had to deal with church discipline in this church. And then also, uh, he was talking about them gathering a present for the people in Jerusalem. But also, a third reason he was writing to is because there were some detractors in the church who were challenging Paul's authority and apostleship and head of this church. And he needed to remind them who, who Paul was and the beginning of that church and how it was of God. And he had to fight back what these satanic detractors were trying to do in this beloved Gentile church. If you've ever been in elementary school or high school, What happens when the teacher is gone for a day or two and a substitute teacher shows up? (laughs) Who runs the show? 
the kids run the show. When the cat's away, the mice play. Now Isaac or Jairo would know nothing about this, but sometimes the kids would try to detract the, main, the substitute teacher from do, doing what the assigned teacher wants to do. And so sometimes it's just, if I can only get through this class and make sure these kids don't set this place on fire, I'm doing a good job. And so what happened was in this church, as Paul served there for a year and a half, these, uh, these false teachers come. These people come in. And as Paul's away, they're trying to take away from the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus. And Paul had to come and correct that. In verse 12 of chapter 5, he says, For we, Paul, the author, and Silas, for we don't commend ourselves again to you, but we're giving you an opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. And so Paul's saying, I really don't need to prove myself as the church father and authority and the pastor of this church. I don't. He knew his commendation was from God himself and the fruit of the ministry was his church. He wrote in chapter 3, Do we begin to commend ourselves or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written on our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh of the heart. If there's a genuine work of God, you can very likely count on, put money on, Satan's going to challenge it, question it, and try to stop it. And so if you look at the Garden of Eden, God had did something beautiful. The Garden of Eden, the animals, the plants, man and woman. And then here comes Satan as a serpent. Did God say not to eat of the tree, of the tree of life? Did God say? So from the very beginning, Satan comes and is challenging, challenging God, God's authority, God's competency. Does God know what he's talking about, really? When Moses was leading the people. He was challenged by his brother and sister. He was challenged by his cousins, Korah. How can he do this thing, Moses? When Jesus was saying on his three years with, to the people, he would pull his disciples and say, I'm going to the cross. This is what I'm going to do. Even his own disciples said, Jesus, you're crazy. Stop that. Even Peter rebuked him. Stop it. And Jesus had to stop him. In the beginning of the church, the word of the God was being multiplied, but then Annas and Sapphira came and lied, trying to bring glory to themselves and trying to distract from what God was doing. And so whenever there is a true work of God, Satan's going to come and try whatever he can to stop it or thwart it. And so in this church... He was bringing people, taking away, we'll learn later, in the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus. And Paul says, listen, you know 
I'm the church leader. Look at even your lives. Look at the fruit of your lives. You coming to Christ and the fruit of the Spirit coming from you. You are proof in itself that I'm the leaders. And we know at this church and other churches that God's using, if it's of God, if the Spirit is moving, look at the fruit of what's going on. Is this legitimate or not? And then sometimes the people will attack the leadership. Satan will come and try to attack the leadership. Is it competent? Do they know what they're doing? And so Satan will try to attack, but then if you're the leader or in ministry and there's opposition towards you, the Spirit will confirm to you either you are or you're not, but then the fruit of your leadership will prove that you're the genuine leader. And Paul, was, Paul would later say, I sacrificed, I laid my life down, I've been beaten. You know I'm the genuine leader. And as I look at our little church, and I'm not focusing anything, but we need to be careful. We need to be very, very careful as God's using this church, little church, God's, but Satan's trying to attack it. He's trying to attack, and how does he attack? He'll attack, he'll attack the small things. He'll, look at, he'll have us distracted on things that are imperfect or that aren't important. Maybe imperfect sanctuary. Maybe the lack of Sunday school hugeness. Maybe the lack of numbers. And then sometimes uh, if there's something that we don't like, we'll comment on it without really thinking what it could do. For example, you know, you know I really don't like those tablecloths. What are they thinking? And then someone else, yeah, I don't like those tablecloths either. You know, and what happened? You've just, what happened was, in the spirit of negativity, you formed an alliance. You formed a little alliance, and then, when you see each other, you have that habit of building, and then the little, little non-essential things become, and then what happens is it's an impetus to challenge the competency of the purpose of the church. Or children's ministry. Sometimes, if you haven't led children's ministry, which is one of the hardest ministries in the world, because when someone comes, they, you know, there's certain pre, uh, uh, suppositions that we should have children's ministry, and if it doesn't have balloons and clowns and 10 leaders and 400 children, we think there's something wrong. And they don't realize that that children's ministry could have everything set in mind, and at the last second, volunteers, all for whatever reason, couldn't come that day. <laughs> and then he's like, ah! And then he's scrambling around just trying to put out little fires. But what do the people come in and see? This children's ministry leader doesn't know what's going on. He's not competent. And so then he's challenging the competency, not knowing the full picture. And so sometimes we have to be very, very careful about how we judge and question things in ministry and not knowing the big picture. The solution is praying for them. Praying, 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 and judging what's going on. I was at a Calvary Chapel Upland, and we were in the little foyer, probably because my wife was with her 400 little children at the time, and we couldn't bring our children in the main sanctuary. And one guy comes in, and he sees the church bulletin, and he's all, well, they have a ministry for youth, and they have a ministry for young single ladies, and they have a, married, they have a ministry for married people. Why don't they have a ministry for single-minded men like me? And my immediate thought was, why don't you lead it? 
If you see the need, don't find the reason why it's not there. Blame it. Be the solution. And the main reason they probably don't have a ministry for single men is there's no one around to do it, to be the solution. And so these false leaders were coming in and challenging Paul. And Paul says, I'm going to give you an opportunity to boast on behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. So what he says, for those who boast in appearance and not of heart, false teachers, their motivation in ministry is themselves. Ambition. Gain. What was Satan's ambition in the Garden of Eden? What was Satan's ambition trying to stop the church, to bring people to himself? Remember in Ezekiel, is there anyone, am I like God? Am I not like God? Satan's always trying to bring attention to himself and away from God. And true leadership in this church, they, their service is so people will come to know the living God and they'll do what it takes and they won't speak of their sacrifices. And they'll, they'll focus and they want people to come to know God. That's their heartbeat. Well, are they coming to know God? Are they growing in Christ? Are they enjoying God's love? And the false people who come in, long-term, they're bringing people to themselves. And they'll divide the church and they'll question the competency of the leadership. And those who have a true heart to serve in this church realize it's not about themselves at all. It's about, is God getting the glory? Is Jesus being glorified? Are them coming to Christ, even if I get recognition or not? And you know you're in the spirit. Is, is Jesus overall being glorified in this ministry? Is Jesus being glorified? Every time Jesus did a miracle, oftentimes, what does it say afterwards in the text? And God was glorified. God was glorified. Jesus was always concerned that the Father would get the glory from miracles. And we have a, we have a pastor and leadership. They will sacrifice and serve so will, others will come to know Christ. Others will grow in Christ. And Pastor Tim doesn't know, doesn't know I'm going to say this, but he doesn't want a salary because he doesn't want it to detract him from ministry. He doesn't want to be owned. I have to do so much or so little for the church because I have to. He wants to make sure the reason he's doing it is because the Holy Spirit wants to and others are growing in Christ. That is good leadership. Paul even said, I didn't even take an offering from you guys. And you guys hold that against me? I'm not a church paid pastor. Forgive me for that, for not wanting salary from you. And so they were... A good minister, a good leader, those who serve, I am serving because they need to know Christ. False people, false leaderships, you'll know them eventually. And the attention and leadership will come to them. They'll divide and conquer. You will know if someone should be in ministry or not. And I'm not singling anybody out, and there's not a reason I'm saying this, but we need to be careful because our people finding ways what's wrong with the leadership. Are they critical of the leadership? Are they speaking about it and they're trying to divide? And then they're being critical and public about it. Or if they recognize there is an issue, there is a problem, one, I need to pray about it, keep my mouth quiet. Maybe there's a reason why the issue's not addressed. Maybe it can't be addressed. 
For example, maybe we don't have enough finances for whatever we need to get done. Maybe there's not enough volunteers. Pastor Tim can tell you all the needs that are done in needs in this church. But he's full-time daddy, full-time husband, full-time roofer, full-time pastor. And it's just not an issue. We just, just lack of resources. Just can't get it done. So if you know there's a need, don't pray about it. Lord, what's the solution? Help us fulfill this need. Because then you realize the goal is to get it com uh, completed rather than attack the leadership. If there's something you realize that needs to get done, be the solution. Be the solution. Pray about it. Can I fix it? Or let me talk to Tim privately. Yeah, I see this need. And then you know if it's, you're complaining about it or, if it or how can we be the solution about it. He'll say, well, the reason it's not getting done is because my keg keeps breaking it. And so, or it's because we're, we're limited in finances and we're waiting on this. We're just, I know, we just, just haven't gotten a time, not a priority. Oh, okay, I'm addressed of it. So when we're, when we're here serving, we need to make sure that when we see something, what's our heartbeat towards it? Are we critical of it or are we praying for it? Just like with our family members. If someone attacks my family members, no way. I'm going to try to keep it quiet. I'm going to address it. But if I don't like someone, I'm going to try to be against them because I don't like them. So we need to be careful of the little steps Satan will come try to divide even a strong little church like this with little bits of, as we, as we question something, what we're really doing is challenging the competency of the leadership. And we know better. Did God say, can he really trust God? What's going on with this going here? Do they know what they're doing? Yeah, I don't think they know what they're doing. Really? Yeah. Well, we should be in charge. Well, we don't want the responsibility. They should ask us what to do, but we don't want to help out. So we see Paul is talking, watch out for these people. They have an appearance of wanting to look good, but their motivation, what's in their heart, is selfish. Verse 13, for we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. And so he said, now, when we're beside ourselves, that's another word saying, if you thought we were looking crazy, if we're looking 5150, even Jesus was accused of this word not, uh, not being a sound mind, being beside himself. Jesus, Jesus, what are you doing? You're beside yourself. You're crazy. And so Paul was saying, if it looks like we are going crazy, why? Because our heart and our fervency is for Jesus and the things of God. Sometimes people, as we're serving the Lord, and the more we serve the Lord, they don't understand that eternity is close, and they haven't really fathomed the love of Christ so when they see someone serving more and more for the Lord, you know what? I, I think you should cool it with this ministry stuff. Because sometimes being too heavenly minded is not earthly good. Ever heard that one? You're too heavenly minded, you're not earthly good. You've got too much things of the Bible, too much things of prayer, too much of service, and you just need to cool it. You're just not getting it. It's getting to your head. You're too zealous for the Lord. And that's actually satanic because Paul says if you're not heavenly minded, you're not good. For our citizenship is in heaven. 
And he said, all that we're doing, it might look crazy. It might look like I'm 5150. It's because it's for God. And if it looks like we're normal to you, and if we're of sound mind, if we're sane, it's for you. If you look at the person of Jesus Christ, did he, did he look crazy? Did he look out of his mind? Was he 5150? Was his teachings irrational, delusional? All those miracles, do they seem far-fetched? Jesus was the most heavenly-minded because his love for God was incredible. And God's love for him for was incredible. And everything Jesus did was for the love of God. In fact, so that the Bible said he, he had obedience to suffering, even that of the cross. And he was so heavenly minded and fixed in glorifying the cross that when he even spoke of dying for the sins of the world, it seemed ludicrous to his disciples. But he wouldn't be distracted from that. And yet every interaction that we saw Jesus with man, it just seems normal, sane, not crazy. Jesus was the most spirit-filled. And if you ever want to see how the gifts of the spirit are in perfect operation, look at Jesus. His dedication to God And was so filled with the Spirit that he was obedient to the cross. And we thank him for that because it was so determined he would die for the sins of the world. And people were trying to distract him from this. And there might be something in you as you're growing and serving the Lord, you're realizing, I'm doing more and more for the Lord. I, I don't have time for other things. I got to get things done for the Lord because I need to get done and I want to get it done and it's things of eternity. And as you're more focused on the Lord, as you're more 5150 for the Lord, as you're more zealous for the things of the Lord, there are choices. I'm not doing, I'm doing less of movies and things of this world. And my time is preoccupied. I need to pray more. I need to read the Bible more. Why? And Tim said this yesterday. Why do we value things so much that God doesn't value at all? Why are we spending a lot of things, a lot of time on things that are distracting us from eternity? And the more and more, as we're drawing close to the Lord, our life and our focus is being consumed with things of the Lord. Prayer, reading the Bible, studying the Bible sharing the gospel, any widows or orphans that need it, is there a young person I can call and encourage? And here's the heartbeat of ministry right here. Here's what Paul's getting at. Verse 14, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. Here, 
when I read this, this is the heartbeat for every ministry right here. From children's ministry to greeting to just sharing with your neighbor, to just sharing food with those who need it. For the love of Christ compels us. If you look at the Paul's life, all that he went through and all his sufferings and beatings and hardships and stonings, what drove Paul on? What drove Pastor Chuck on? What drives Tim and Heidi on? It's the love of Christ that compels him. It's this word compels, it's a driving force. It's an all-consuming constraint. The love of God is what changed Pastor Chuck. It's what changed Martin Luther. And the book of Romans is what really changed both ministries. Paul writes in 837, yet all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul received so much of God's love. He knew that God loved him with an everlasting love. It just changed him. It changed him. He went from a man who knew the Old Testament and trying to kill people in the name of God because they were in sin and they didn't follow God and they were just a bunch of Gentiles. He was trying to get them killed in the name of God. But when he experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit showed him the love of God, the heartbeat of God, the Christ, the cross of Christ. It changed him. So from the person who's trying to kill that you're not following the Old Testament to sharing about 1 Corinthians chapter 13. God is patient. God is love. God is long-suffering. And you'll experiencing all this and it should outflow to others because God is love. And if you're a child of God, then therefore you should be a child of love as well. A true love child. But God, Paul was consumed with this love. It was driving him crazy. It just drove him. What drove him through the beatings and the shipwreckness and, 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 and keep going on and keep sharing even the rejection because God's love was just heart beating in him. Jeremiah said, I'm not going to keep, I'm going to keep quiet. I'm sick and tired of these Israelites who reject God. But it was the word of God that was fire in his bones. And it's the same love of the Holy Spirit. Just, Paul was just consumed with it. And that was pushing him because he saw God's love for him and with that he saw through that he saw how much God loved others and God's the Holy Spirit love through him just compelled him his love for God God's love for him and that's what compelled him to keep sharing and keep moving and keep serving and keep sacrificing it was God's love that is the heartbeat of ministry God's love for you, and you know that God loves others. That's why we serve. That's why we do ministries. And these false teachers didn't have a clue. Maybe they did, but then they lost it. 
It wasn't serving others. It wasn't God getting the glory. The love of God wasn't the gasoline in the car. It wasn't the rocket fuel for the rocket. And you talk to leaders in the church and pastors, you know, it should be that shop talk should be about their love of God in the Bible or ministry and service. It should be, ex- yeah. They may not be overflowing with personality, but it's a sparkle in the eye. Their manner towards it. Just, they love serving. It just comes out from them. Because why? Not to get anything for it, but because God's love is just pushing. And sometimes in ministry, we get a, it becomes dry. The service becomes, uh. And maybe it's because we haven't been surrounding ourselves with God's love. Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself. Keep yourself moist. Keep yourself under the spout where the glory falls out. At home, my house, these, uh, I've got this little front faucet, and I've got these really beautiful, vibrant yellow lilies. And I, I forgot I had planted them, but we had a lot of rain that came out this past season. And all of a sudden, in February, these little bulbs shot out. And then the most gorgeous, vibrant yellow lilies are just blooming. And what I do is, I just crank my faucet. Don't tell the people, that, you know, Modesto Municipal. But I water my lilies, like, almost all the time. And they're growing vibrant and vibrant and vibrant. Despite the heat, can I give it more water because it's really hot? But they're growing so much because I'm trying to keep this area so moist. And the life of the lilies are blooming and blooming and blooming. It's just beautiful to see. Why? Because I'm cranking that water on all the time. I'm keeping them moist. I'm keeping them in the love of the faucet. And they're blooming. And so we need to make sure that we're keeping ourselves in God's love. That's why it's so important to make that choice to be in the Bible and to be in prayer so that we're reminded of how much God loves me. We're reminded of the cross. Oftentimes, if ministry is getting dry or reading the Bible is dry or ministry is dry, it's because we've lost sight of the cross. Of God's love where he, God took all of my nasty sin and all of your nasty thoughts upon Jesus. That should have been us. And Jesus Christ took the spikes in his arms and on the thorns and in the feet and the spear. He was ridiculed. He was spit upon, lied about. And all night long, they're making false accusations with no sleep. And he didn't get in the flesh one bit. And he took it all. And he took the sin of the world. And he took the separation, the divorce of the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me upon himself? He who knew no sin became sin for us. And I've noticed that pretty much church is the same. (laughs) Serve God, love God, and he loves you. And if you're in the heartbeat of Jesus, you can hear this. Or you can see someone get saved, and you're like, yeah, it's fresh every time you hear it because you're enjoying the love of God. But if it's kind of, ha, ha, same old, same old, probably you're not in God's love. Every time I hear the message of the gospel, it's like, yeah, that's true. There's like a freshness towards it. It rings true with every single time. Every time I listen to Billy Graham, I'm like, yeah, 
I need to get saved. Thank God. Oh, yeah, I'm already saved. You know, I'm like, it's true. Yeah. The anointing from his message and just enjoying God's love seems fresh. Now, for those who are married, and Isaac and Jairo will love this, there are times when you can kiss your same wife, and sometimes those kisses are electric, and sometimes those kisses are like, yeah, whatever, really? <laughs> but it's the same wife, or it's the same husband. Even though you've been kissing him for years, you know, that, that kiss, you know, my, my wife and I have been married 18 years, and there are times, if I'm focused on my wife, I'm thinking about pleasing my wife, am I, what I respect about her, what I appreciate about her, I just want to bless her, those kisses are electric. They're, they're special. You know? It's like fresh from the, almost near the first time. It's fresh. Because I'm focused on her. I want to bless her. I want to please her. Or she wants to please me. But when you're focused on yourself, and for whatever reason... You're not into it, or you know, you're in the flesh, and you're focused on her wrongness, and she, you kiss, you're like, and then, or even the kiss, like a peck, like a peck, boring. Here we go. And if you're, and it's the same with the gospel. If you're in the love of God, if you're enjoying the things of the Spirit, the gospel is fresh every time. People coming to know God is beautiful every time. You, yeah, it's true. But if you're not into the things of God, or you're just falling away from the Lord, it's boring, it's drab, it's same old. Why? It's, church is the same. And so Paul was sharing us the heartbeat. It's God's love that changed Paul. It was the baptism of the Spirit was the rocket fuel for the rocket. And he says, because we judge thus, if one died for all, and then all died. And he's saying, Jesus died for all the sins of the world. Jesus died for every single person's sins, from your sins to my sins, to the child molester's sins, to Hitler's sins, to the Islamist's sins. To the neighbors down your street who crank their music way too loud, sins. The student sins. The person you like but who doesn't like you sins. He died for all. And it's like an all-for-one statement. And if Jesus died for everybody, then all sins have been paid for. All have died. Jesus Christ paid for everybody's sins. Jesus Christ paid the price for everyone's sins because God wants everyone to be with him in heaven. God wants everybody to be in heaven. Even the person on the other political side. And you think, that's crazy. God doesn't love demons. For a moment, God wants to spend eternity with everybody on earth that's ever lived. 
He created heaven for everybody. God is love. And when we go to heaven, we're going to experience all that God is in a new body. All that Jesus knew, what pushed him to the cross, that when we come, we'll have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when we get to heaven, we'll have all of the fullness with the Father. It says in Colossians, we're like in this love, or in John 17 and Colossians, we're in the fullness of the Father and Christ's love. And when we get to heaven, we get to experience all of it. And God wants to share all of that love with us. Right now, Al Molina is enjoying all of God's love right now. And Jimmy Pat Carter, if, you know, if he allows God to love him because he keeps talking, God, this is awesome. Um, and all their loved ones in Christ, my mom and my dad and Pastor Chuck, they're all experiencing the fullness eternal love right now and for eternity. And God wants to share all that eternal love with us forever. And that's the reason why God sent Jesus to die on the cross because if we are kept in our sins, we will be judged and forever going to hell. But God did not want us to go to hell because of our sins, so he had put all our sins and judgment upon Jesus so then we can, he could spend eternity with us. He's chasing us more than we're chasing him. God wants everyone to be in heaven. And Paul had that heartbeat. God had, God had that heartbeat of God in him. And then it was just coming out of him. It was driving him to serve. Jesus died for all. And he died for all, verse 15, that those who should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. 1 Corinthians 6.20 said, For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Peter 1, 18, 19 said, Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Philip's translation said, if we look at, at this, if one died for all men, then in sense they all died. And his purpose in dying for them is that their lives should now no longer be lived for themselves, but for him who died and rose again for them. And so we're commanded, if we've been born again, and if we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, the cares of this world should drift away and our life and our purpose should be for God. And here's a thinking question. This is the point where your flesh says, I hate this part.
Are you, am I, are you living for the things of God? Is, are we being compelled by God's love to serve Him today and tomorrow? The third soil in the parable of the soil, the, soil, the seed, the word of God fell upon the, the thorns and the fruit came forward, but it was choked. Development of fruit was stifled for the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. And as I was preparing for this last night and the other night, I have some small investments in cryptos. And I go to this, the web base where I look to see if they go up and down. And that sometimes I'll like, do they go up, do they go down, do they go up, do they go down? Oh no, you know. Don't tell Cecily, you just bought more. You know. But it's the distraction, it's the deception that if like, if I buy in now, and they go up, man, I'll be filthy rich, and I don't have to rely on God anymore, hooray! You know, it's the deception of riches that if I get all this money, like if I'm Kevin Durant, and if I get $50 million a year just for my doing nothing, that's life, that's what it's all about, getting $50 million, that's it. I'm safe, I'm done, tap out, I'm good, I'm golden. No more troubles ever. It's the deception that if everything that I think I need it will be fixed, that stifles the fruit of the Spirit. Because that's what the world thinks. And that stifles the love of God in my heart. And it stifles what's important. And it stifles that my focus is more onto this rather than on this. And reality and the Holy Spirit's working on me why aren't I more excited about all of God's promises? Instead of going to the website to see if my investments are going up or down or not, I should be going to the verses of all of God's promises because that's eternal, that's true, and that's not going to fade away. And this is what's solid. I should get, you know, help me, Lord, to see that, yes, yes, the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That should be bring more true and more excitement in my heart because that's eternal and true and God cannot lie. And he's always been faithful to every single person who's clung to that promise from the day it was written with King David through the 1700s, through all the gravestones we have in Modesto and Mantique and Lodi that have Bible verses. God was faithful to all those pioneers back then and to the people who lived in World War I, World War II. They say that God is my shepherd. And for the people in Vietnam and today, that's the same promise God's been more true, as true as ever. I should hold on to that. And, and then, no, in the verses of heaven, God's going to wipe away every tear. And in the verse in Philippians, he'll meet all of my need according to his glorious riches in Christ. But if I'm focused and excited about that, my faith will grow, and I, I realize God's going to be with me, whatever he's telling me to do. But if I'm allowing myself to be distracted, I'm missing out on fruits and works of God. We need to make choices to be in the Word and to be in prayer. 
so we won't get stifled in ministry and we won't miss out on what's important. That's God's love for us today. God's love. Grace is what gets us saved and love, the love of God crossed over with the grace is what pushed us to get saved. We need God's grace to be born again. I can't earn it, nor could I earn God's grace for today's living. Yet what drives me is knowing how much God loves me. And I need to stay in his love. And if you get distracted, Pastor Chuck would say, if you don't know what to do, go back on what you do know. And if you don't feel like you're in God's plan, go back to where you were when you knew you were in God's plan. Go back to Bethel like Jacob. And go back to the cross. Go back to his love. Go back to those times when God's ministered towards you. And Pastor, uh, Jeff and I were riding home, and stupid Pastor Tim would read Acts 13 and 1 about praying and fasting. Because my flesh hates fasting. But as I fast and pray and purposely choose to not to eat and be in the Word for a meal, a couple meals, a day, a couple days, or longer, I'm choosing to say no to my flesh and no to fill my belly with a burger or a burrito or chips or the internet or whatever things that's distracting me or what's going on with Golden Warriors and all this stuff. And I'm feeding the Holy Spirit. I'm, fe I'm feeding my, my spirit with the Holy Spirit. I'm feeding myself the truth of God's love. And I've found that when I fast, I'm denying my body telling me what to do. You ever found yourself, you and people are talking about when you pray, oh, I want a burger, I want a cup of coffee. You, like, you know you're praying and all of a sudden everything else is more important. Even my cuticle and my thumb seem to be the most important thing to be praying. Or I need to check on my kids right now. You know, or my fishbowl needs, I don't have a fishbowl, but it should be cleaned right now. If I had a fishbowl, I should clean it. Because the enemy is trying to distract me from prayer. But when I choose to fast and deny my body, I have found this is what's happening. I'm strengthening my spirit. And then I found that when I fast, I'm strengthening the spirit. I actually have strength over certain temptations in my life. And we have certain, you know, if it's greed or laziness, procrastination, lust, drinking, whatever we're tempted in, if you fast, you will find yourself easier to say no to those things. I found that when I fast, I found that that little small voice says, you should do this or this or be in the Bible or prayer or do this. I found, yeah, yeah. My spirit strengthened, it overcomes the, the fleshly part to control me away from distracting me from the more important things. But have you ever found yourself, you know you should be doing something right now, but you really like doing it, but you know you should be doing something else, but you really like this, and like, I want to? Your flesh is in charge. And the Holy Spirit, the spirit, fill of the spirit is weak. But when you say no to the flesh and things of the spirit, you're strengthening your spirit, and therefore you have the strength to say no and yes to the things you get done. And you're actually, and you're like, I actually, praise the Lord, I was successful. I got things done, hallelujah, glory to the Lord. But when I'm not fasting and praying, my flesh part is in control. 
I don't have the discretionary filter to say things or not say things, or to correct my wife or not to correct my wife, or to correct my children the right way or the wrong way. I'm feeding what is in charge. So when Tim read Acts 13.1 today, it reminded me, oh yeah, I need to fast and pray so that I'm more usable, and then and as I'm fasting and praying, I can see more clearly God's heartbeat for me. God's heartbeat for the cross, how much he loves me. And then, and then I'm more usable. And that drives me to serve the Lord more. So wrapping up, as we continue to serve the Lord, let's be careful that if we find issues in the church We pray about them first. We try to be the solution first. We try to talk privately about solutions rather than haphazardly making critical remarks. We check our motivations. Why are we serving? Is it for recognition? Or is it so God with the glory and people would grow in Jesus, even if I don't get any recognition at all? Because that's what's important. Is the love of God compelling me? Am I, am I just, just enjoying God's love? And, and are you fasting and praying? Are you denying yourself by led by the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit will tell you, you know what? You should fast and pray. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Ask him, should you fast and pray? Consume yourself with Bible reading and prayer and, and service. And therefore... You're stronger and more usable. And what do you smell like? You smell like campfire because you've been hanging around the campfire? What's coming out of you? Jesus said, out of the heart the mouth speaks. So what we surround ourselves is going into our heart and eventually it will come out. Would, could, are we the aroma of Christ and the aroma of death? Or are we the aroma of self? Let's pray. Dear Lord, help us please today. Help us to see how much you love us. Show us your patience, your life, the ministry, the cross. And just help us to stay there. Lord, if you're speaking to us to pray more and to fast, speak to us individually. We don't want to be a church of constraints and legalism. We want to be a church led by the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit is, there is life and liberty. And if the Spirit's not saying anything, well, praise the Lord. Keep doing what you're doing. If the Spirit says, yeah, do this and this, well, listen to the Spirit so He loves you. And you can enjoy God's love because you bought us at a price. Maybe it's to give financially, maybe not. And before I end, if there's anyone here who realizes they've been, they're a sinner, they've done bad things, and they realize they want God's love, they need forgiveness of sins, 
They realize Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins and rose again from the grave, literally. Then please, we're not going to do it now, come to the leadership, Pastor Tim or myself or Tony or Phil, Pedro, Zach, David and the others, or a certain night next to you, come and say, I want my sins to be forgiven. I want Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. If you want to be filled with the baptism of the Spirit, come forward and we'll pray for you. And today, Lord, help us to be led by the Spirit and have all that you've got us planned to do and to enjoy. In Jesus' name, amen.